0: But with that uh the story is a great story. Uh, it's uh I fear that there's uh, there's a lot of emotions in the very end of the story. It's a beautiful uh picture. I'm opting to si- sort of cover the whole thing uh because my my heart is that we would we would capture the the essence of the storyline of Genesis particularly with Joseph. And so I think to, this last section sort of covers that And uh, for those of you who care where we're going, November will take uh, four Sundays to look at some Psalms with gratitude. And then after that, we're going to kick off into Luke. We'll go about halfway through Luke, and then we'll pause halfway through Luke. And then we'll pick up the story of Genesis to start the story of Exodus because this is like a—it kind of ends with a cliffhanger, like what happens next? So we're going to cover that. Okay, let's pray, and we'll look at our story. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, as we conclude uh, Genesis, this just wonderful story that it's taken us a couple years to get through between our starts and stopping it and starting again. And Lord, as we've looked at the life of Joseph, it's just an amazing story. And we pray, Father, that today you would help us to get lost in the story, that you would help us to feel the emotions of the various things that happen in today's story, that we would uh, see your hand working in Joseph's life and and really the life of Israel, uh, the person and the nation, uh, that you, uh, through your design, you are sovereign, you are in control, you orchestrate things, you allow us to go through certain difficulties that ultimately refine us and grow us and mature, mature us into the people that you desire us to be for your glory. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at the story, we would enjoy the story for the story itself, and that we would also learn lessons for our own lives, that we would see that there is hope for uh, reconciliation with you, reconciliation with individuals in our life where the relationship has been broken, and that we can see through our present suffering that we can have hope that you are actually building our character for something that we may or may not see in the future. And we thank you, God, for this time. And I pray it in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. So we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45, verse 16. And we read, Now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants, So the word gets out that this Joseph, this guy who was a slave, they didn't know much about his background. It got word to him that his family had been discovered. He thought this was a great thing. Joseph had done all sorts of good things to him, namely interpret his dreams. And uh, he had this terrifying dream. Joseph said, hey, we're going to have seven years of of good times, and then there's going to be a great famine that comes over the next seven years. And so in order to do this, over those seven years, save 20%, build up a stockpile so that when the famine comes, you can be ready for it. And so they did just that in the midst of the famine. Uh, Joseph's brothers, uh, just to sort of give us a quick recap, they got word that there was food in Egypt. They go down there, they get some food, then they go back, then they come back. And theres it was really scary for the dad. Joseph's kind of messing with them. He finally lets them know that, hey, I'm your brother that you sold into slavery. Uh, God, You did it for evil. God had a plan, and now I'm going to be able to save you. Go back, get dad, get everybody, and come back down is sort of that, where this is going. So verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load up your beasts, go to the land of Canaan. That's Israel. Uh, Take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are ordered, do this. Take the wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, for your wives, and bring your father and come. Do not concern yourselves with your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, so fresh clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments because he was the the special brother. And to his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the best of things to Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his father on their journey. Okay, Pharaoh gets word. Pharaoh says, you need to go get your family. Go up there, take all the stuff that you need, bring them back down there. Don't worry about anything. Have everybody come back down. I'm going to give them the best spot in Egypt for them to live and to take care of. So Joseph tells his brothers, his brothers do this. Then he sends his brothers off to go do this, okay? So this is, it hasn't happened yet. They're just about to go out. Verse 24 is very funny to me. Uh, so he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. It's interesting. Why would they be quarreling? They got to go back to dad. They got to say, hey, your son's alive. And what story are they going to come up with? And there's plenty of brothers to quarrel over how they're going to handle this. But Joseph says, don't quarrel, just go get dad and come. We see through this story that Joseph is very much a changed man, and his brothers are still struggling with some maturity growing. They have some there's some there's some kinks to, to yet be worked out. So then verse twenty-five, they went up to Egypt, they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. Now this is 15 16 years has gone by they've done multiple trips and now they have to go back and say dad you know that story we told about your son being eaten up by lions or whatever the bloody coat yeah that didn't really happen we don't we're not told how they tell him but they probably just highlighted hey he's alive we don't know what's happening and so he's super stunned he's in shock he doesn't know how to take this news if you had a dead family member that suddenly was like hey they're back they're alive You would probably have a hard time with this. And so then they recapped all of the words that Joseph had spoken to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. Then Israel said, that's Jacob. Remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He said, it is enough. My son, Joseph, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So he says, I believe. Let's pack up. And let's go. Verse 40, or chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, that's Jacob, set out with all that he had, and he came to Bersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now, this little interlude, of verse 1 through 7, is fascinating. Uh, so we have Jacob, who God renamed Israel. They're in the land of Israel. He's up there. He gets word about his son down in Egypt. There's a famine. And this whole scene of they come to the very southern point of Israel, and he stops and he makes a sacrifice. This is where Abraham and the others had had made sacrifices. This is a very significant town. But it also highlights that this journey into Egypt was so much more than just going to see his son. Because remember back in Genesis chapter twelve and then in fifteen, God said, Go, I'm gonna make a people, you're gonna go to the land, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna, you know, make camp, and I'm gonna give you all this land, and all of these things are gonna happen. And so as Joseph or not Joseph, as as Jacob comes to this spot and as he's about to exit Israel, you can tell there's sort of this turmoil in his heart. Am I abandoning the promise that God made? For some food. And, and in this, I, I do think that there is there's something just special about this that he's like, I want to be cautious in abandoning this because God made this promise for this spot. And as I leave everything that I have, all my people, all of the commands that God gave all of the generations before us, we are now walking out on this. And so as he makes his sacrifice to God, then God shows up. And in verse 2, God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in visions of the night and said, to Jake, said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. And God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. And if you read through that and you go back on your own time and you read through Genesis chapter 12 and you read through Genesis chapter 15 and you look at the promises that God made, it's what God is saying is, I know you're leaving and this doesn't make sense, but I am going to bring your people back. It'll take 430 years before they come back. They're going to grow as a people, but God says, don't worry, Jacob, What you're doing is in alignment with my desire for you. You're being obedient to me. I've had, i coordinated all of this for you and your people. It's just a beautiful scene. Then Jacob arose, verse 5, from Beersheba. And the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters, his, gra- his granddaughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Verse 8, now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Then there's a whole bunch of names, and you come down to verse 27, and the second half of verse 27 says, all the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. So you have the list of the people. We have an accounting for all of the people of Israel that went down. And we're told that as they enter into Egypt, there's 70 people. When we get over to um, Exodus in some time, we'll see that while they're in Egypt, they flourished as a people. And there's like huge speculation from from commentators, from Hundreds of thousands to two million people. We don't know. All we know is that the Egyptians, so much time had gone by that they forgot about who Joseph was. And the people of the nation of Israel had grown and flourished to the point to where they were now fearful of them. And so then they would, they would be taken into slavery. So now there's 70 people. They're a nobody nation. They enter into Egypt. Verse 28 we come to the scene. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph prepared his chariot, and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. And so this is where I've been struggling all week. So we're 14 minutes in. I had to kind of like move the train along. We got a long way to go. But I want us to sort of pause at this at this moment. Joseph isn't Israeli anymore. I mean, he is Israeli. He's an Egyptian. He he Like I said it last week, I think he walks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. However the rest of the song goes, he's fully Egyptian in language and culture. After all of these years, he's about to see his father again, who is fully Hebrew, language, culture. And so for both of them, this is hard for us to imagine the emotion here. And all week, I've been thinking about, you know, Brian and I. Brian, I didn't give him any warning, but we went to Japan like six or seven years ago. And when we were coming back from Japan, I was coming down with a cold and so my, my hot ticket was to, like, get some sleep, was to find what I thought would be the most boring movie that I could find that would put me to sleep so that I would get well. And so I put this movie in, and I'm, like, in the airplane with my headphones on, just crying with the, you know, the snot and the eyes, and I'm, like, like, leaning up against Brian, like, does he see what's happening here? I don't think he saw what was going on here. But I saw this movie that was based on a true story, and, and, and the, the synopsis of the story, the book is called A Long Way Home, if you've ever read the book, and then they made a movie of it called Lion, fascinating story. Five-year-old boy in, in uh, India has an older brother in, in just abject poverty. The brother who was like nine years old, they would hop on a train, they would go to a, a city, and the brother had some scam. They would raise money. They'd come back, and they provide food for the, for the mom and their little sister. So one night, they go out there. The little brother, Saru, he, he, he goes to sleep. He, when he wakes up, he, his brother was supposed to be back. His brother never comes back. He goes onto the train looking for his brother. That train takes off. He's locked in the train for days, and he finds himself in Calcutta. And then he's on the streets of Calcutta for like two, three weeks, seeing horrific things. He's finally taken into a sort of a foster care home, and they're doing their best to try to figure out like where this kid came from. They, either it was a different language or it was a five-year-old's language that they couldn't understand. And after months, they, they gave up. There was no way of finding the, where this kid came from. And so a family adopts this kid, in Australia, he goes to Australia. He's raised as an Australian, and when he's in college, he he hangs ar- around Indians, and there's smells and there's things that sort of ignite memories from his past, but he can't quite put it together, and they're all a bunch of software engineers they're like, hey, have you heard about Google Earth? And he's like, uh ah. And so then it leads to this quest over years of mapping out from Calcutta all of the train stations, looking at every single train stop. And after years, he's like, that's my town where I came from. And so then he flies there and he walks through the town. And so now this, we're going to watch a six-minute clip about this man, true story, seeing his mom get your Kleenex so we can turn off the lights. I didn't know if I was going to show it. I, ra- I grappled all week whether to show it or not, and I'm deciding to show it. Okay, that's it. Okay, Um, okay, where were we? So that scene, while I don't have video of when they met, when I read verse 29, I think it is, uh, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Isaac. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and he wept for a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I've seen your face and you are still alive. This this emotion, like this movie, it's like, it's a true story. But it's like you have Indian boy goes away to Australia. There's a brother that's lost. There's a little sister. And the way they capture this emotion of like, this is a huge, huge moment for everybody. And the father says, my son is back. Now I can die in Peace. And Joseph says to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who, are, who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds and they have been keepers of the livestock and they've brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So Joseph comes up with his plan. He says, okay, you guys are all here. I'm going to go talk to Pharaoh. He's the head guy. I'm going to come up with this this plan. I'm going to kind of like grease things along. You want to go to Goshen. It's a super beautiful land. The Egyptians hate shepherds. And so they're going to just put you away there out in the countryside. It's going to be beautiful. And the guys, everybody gets the plan. Chapter 47, verse 1 through verse 12. I'm not, I'm not going to read those 12 verses. Basically, it's the execution of that. They... They go, oh, it's the Bible. I love it. Like I know the voice. I, I hear the Bible reading. Sorry, it's okay. I feel bad for whoever it's happening to because it's like, oh, they're panicking trying to get the thing off because uh, we've all been there. Um, uh, Joseph says to them, this is your plan. You're going to go before Pharaoh, say this stuff. And then the first 12 verses, they go before Pharaoh, they say this stuff. The father blesses Pharaoh and then Pharaoh does exactly as the brother had coordinated. You come to verse 13 through verse 26. What happens, this is sort of the the continuation of the story of the famine. Basically, the famine gets severe. The people of Egypt, they begin to go and they begin to buy food from Joseph. Joseph sells to them. This continues until they all ran out of money. Then they start bartering their stuff. And then by the end, they basically have nothing else to offer but their lives, and so they sort of enter into slavery. So you see a Pharaoh getting super wealthy, super powerful, the people of Egypt getting super destitute. And then in verse 27, where we'll pick up the story, it wasn't the case for Israel and his family. So verse 27 of chapter 47, now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and they... were fruitful and became very numerous. They grew numerically. They were having kids and babies, and it was beautiful. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness so this whole idea uh is he wants him to make a vow with him the whole putting your hand on the thigh this is this was like shaking hands back in the day uh place your hand on my thigh deal with me in kindness and in faithfulness please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And so he swore to him. Then Israel, that's Jacob, bowed in worship at the head of the bed. And so we see this whole like preparing The story gets particularly emotional for me, especially today, like today's my dad's birthday. In the last year, I've had this talk with my dad multiple times, like, Gunnar, I'm dying, like I'm dying, and these are your marching orders. When I die, you're going to take me, you're going to get me cremated, you're going to fly me out to the Naval Academy, you're going to bury me at the Naval Academy. And so that was like my summer. And so then coming to this text on like this particular day, it's kind of like, ah. And so so, and I've been there with a lot of, as a pastor, I've been there with a lot of people who know they're going to die and they say, these are my marching orders. This is what I want you to say when I, and it's like, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I'll do that. And then there's something sort of special and hallowed when you're sort of fulfilling the wishes of somebody after their death, when they can't tell you what to do after they, but that you're honoring them in this way. There's something super special about it. And so we see in these verses that Jacob begins with Joseph. He recognizes that he's the one who has the power and the authority and he says, this is what I want you to do. It's going to repeat a couple times and we're going to look at some of it and we'll skip other parts of it. So chapter 48 verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, behold, your father is sick. So some time goes by. He gets sicker. Things are getting closer to the end. He took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength, that's Jacob, collected his strength and sat up in bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz and in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession." He's recapping what he made. He stopped at Beersheba. He makes the offering. God appears to him, reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant. And now Jacob is telling his son Joseph about this reaffirmation of the promise that was given to them. And verse 5, he says, now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. So grandpa is saying these two boys are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon. So what happens is, is there's this legal transaction where Jacob is adopting his grandsons as sons. See, all this seems sort of strange. It seems like that they had a happy family life and everything was fun. This is a legal transaction for the promise. He's giving Joseph a double blessing of the promise future. You guys can tease this out. You can really look at, look at this. But when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, and especially as they enter into the land of Canaan, after they come out of slavery, we'll see that Levi doesn't have, any, doesn't have any land. He's not, because they're the priestly line, they don't have any land. And then Joseph, he doesn't get any land, but his two sons get the land. So it's the, the tribe of Joseph is actually getting double portion of land quantity, so it's this huge blessing that's being given to Joseph by his father through this legal adoption of his two sons. You can tease that out on your own. We don't have time to do that right now. Verse six. But your offering, but your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers and in their inheritance. Now, as for me, when I came to Padan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan and the journey when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath that is Bethlehem when Israel saw Joseph's sons he said who are these Joseph said to his father they are my sons whom God has given me here so he said bring them to me please that I may bless them now as I now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see then Joseph brought them close to him And he kissed them and he embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. I don't know if you guys have been around like old people. And old can be like whatever you, like it's all relative. So like let's just say 150 years old, so I'm safe with everybody. Uh, But it's like. You know, there's times when I like was with like my dad or elderly people and they're just so like tickled that something like, I never thought this day would come. Never thought I would see my great great grandchildren. Like this is amazing. And it's just this beautiful picture. I see him holding his grandson's holding his son. And he's like, I just never imagined. It's just a special scene here. Then Joseph took them from his knees and he bowed with his face to the ground, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand and is Uh, with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right. He's trying to get the birth order correct with grandpa for the blessing. But we know the story before. It always gets messed up, right? And it always seems to be something going on there. Verse 14, but Israel stretched out his right hand, and he laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Joseph didn't see this coming. That grandpa was going to do the old uh, switcheroo with his hands. He blessed Joseph and said, "'The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them.'" And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into multitude on the, in, in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. So he's trying to do the, oh, come on, Dad, let's get the right kids for the blessing. Joseph, okay, where are we at? Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is firstborn, place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know he also will become a people and he will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, may God take you like Ephraim and Manassas. Then he put Ephraim before Manassas. This seems to be the storyline of Genesis that God does what's unthinkable or does what's unexpected. And the one that doesn't seem like should be the blessed one, that one is the blessed one. Because why? Because God is God and God can do what he, he wants to do. Amen. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back into the land of your fathers. And then as we as we continue through chapter 49, I'm not going to go through this. Verse 3, he's going to continue his sort of blessings. The other brothers are there. He's gonna. Some of them are gonna get rebuked for their actions. The father doesn't remember some of the bad things that were done. So Reuben's gonna get talked to in verse three, and in verse five, Simeon and Levi are gonna be talked to, and in verse eight, Judah is gonna be talked to. Verse thirteen, Zebulun is gonna be talked to. Verse fourteen, Issachar. Verse sixteen, Dan. Verse nineteen. Uh Gad, as for Asher, verse 20, verse 21, Naphtali, chap, verse 22, Joseph, verse 27, Benjamin. So he goes through all of the sons, and he gives a little blessing or a little warning over them. And then in verse 28, we read, All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone, with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. I'm about to die. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephraim and Hittite. When we looked at the death of Abraham, I showed a picture. You can go to this location, and uh, it's controlled by the Muslims, and it's a, it's, they, they've kind of coordinated because all like the three major faiths of the world uh, can go visit and see because these, these patriarchs are important for everybody. I'm not sure how they're handling it in today's uh, day, world right now in Israel. Uh, but you can go there. You can Google uh, this this location. But he's being requested to be, be to be buried at the family plot with his family members, and the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, verse thirty, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along the field with field from Ephraim the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebecca, and there I buried Leah the field and the cave that is in it, purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Just like this beautiful scene. He gives his sons. He's told Joseph privately. Now he's telling them all his wishes of what he wants to be done. He's blessed them. He pulls his feet into bed and he passes. Verse one of chapter 50, then Joseph fell on his father's face and he wept over him and he kissed him. Joseph commanded that his servants, the physicians to embalm his father because they were in Egypt. so the physicians embalmed Israel or Jacob. Now forty days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him for seventy days. When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So basically his dad's died. They've gone through all of the burial processes. He then goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, my dad made me promise that I have to bury my dad at the Naval Academy. It wasn't the Naval Academy. It was another location. Can I please go there, take care of the burial, and then I I promise I'm going to come back. And so Pharaoh says, of course, take care of your family business. Go bury your father and then return. Do what you need to do. So Joseph verse 7 went to bury his father. And with him And with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and the elders of the land of Egypt. And all the household of Joseph, Joseph and his brothers and his father's household, and they only left their little, and they only left their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with them, both chariots and horsemen, and it was a great company. So then you come to verse 10. Verse 11, 12, 13, 14, we see the burial scene. They, they, they have the burial scene. Then we come into verse 15. We're going to meet the brothers a little bit more. The brothers just aren't maturing at the rate that we think they should be maturing. Um, or, they have, or, they, or they have a hard time. It's one thing. They're either not maturing or they're having a hard time understanding that Joseph truly is a transformed man. Um, so in verse 15 dad is gone, dad is buried, the estate's sort of been settled, and now they're concerned. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph buries a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong which we did to him? Joseph has some power. And things might not have fully like got, got synced up since they reunited. And and they're concerned. And so now they've got to like, catch a plan to sort of try to make sure that their brother doesn't retaliate for the things which they did to him, which what they did to him was pretty severe. So verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged us before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. So they send this message, they make up this message saying, hey, but right before dad died, you know what he, when you went out to go to the bathroom and while you were in the bathroom, he said that he really wants us to tell you, please forgive us. Because what we did was great. You know, we serve God now. Everything's good, but please, 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 just forgive us. And how does Joseph respond? Joseph responds with tears. He, he wept as they spoke to them because clearly they don't get it. And here Joseph is, is a guy, since they threw him into the pit and sold him into slavery, the whole time he's been walking with God, trusting God, understanding that what he was going through was by God's hand, not their hand. And he's like, here they still think I'm harboring bitterness when I'm just simply harboring gratitude that God would be so faithful to our family to allow me to go through this so that I could be here during this time to, to preserve our people. And they're coming to me with this fake story. This is just, it's just sad. Then his brothers came, verse 18, and they fell down before him and they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, guys, stop it. He says, don't be afraid, for for am I in God's place? Am I God? As for you, you meant for evil against me, but God, here's one of these great but gods in the Bible, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He said, you guys are still going back to when we were kids, and you think that we're still there in that moment? Like, open your eyes. God is doing something here. And I recognize while you guys had evil in your hearts back then, I saw the whole time that God was doing something. And through God's hand, my suffering was used to preserve our our family and our lineage. So relax. I love you guys. Everything's okay. It's this beautiful picture. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, and he and his house, his household and, and Joseph lived. Let me start over here. I was thinking and talking. So no, Joseph stayed in Egypt. He and his father's household and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons and also the sons of Mach- Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born, in Joseph's, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God, another but God, but God will surely take care of you and bring, will take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made his sons swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years old and he was embalmed in that place in a coffin in Egypt. And this is this is beautiful. At the very end of his life he's still working on his brothers. He's like, "Guys, I'm about to die. And I'm not your savior. Like I'm going to die. Don't worry." Because God is still God, and God is the one who's going to take care of you. If you're looking to me to take care of you, you haven't figured it out. Promise me that you'll keep your eyes on God. And I really think that this is like for Christian parents, this is like what we want our kids to do, to to learn how to look towards God, to walk with God, to trust God, because we as parents who want to take care of our kids, one day we're not going to be able to take care of our kids, but our kids are still our kids. But we know that the ultimate way that our kids can be taken care of, if our kids are Keep their eyes on God and walk with God, then everything will be okay. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. And so, when I look at this passage, we're right at the work, right at the perfect time. When I look at sort of this section of Joseph's life, it's just a wonderful story of of reconciliation. Um, God can work great things in our lives. For me, particularly looking at this story on the anniversary of my dad's death, my dad's relationship and mine was not like a beautiful relationship over the course of our lives. Our relationship got really good in 2016 when he was like diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And then I had seven years with my dad, caring for my dad and seeing my dad's personality change and adjust. And we had this wonderful time of like reconciliation and healing that on, that on today that this passage would come up that I, on my dad's birthday, that I'd be able to talk about the story and to see how God works things and provides and allows these stories of reconciliation and healing to happen, that's the business that God's into, and it's beautiful. And we see this in their lives. We see this with with Jacob. We see it with his, his son, Joseph. We see it amongst the brothers. But it didn't come quickly, and it didn't come through a path of like soft, easy walking. It came through tremendous suffering. And if God allowed Joseph to rise to power at 17 years old, I'm not sure that we would have the same story. I believe that Joseph needed this however many years of suffering and hardship because his character needed to be refined so that when this moment presented itself to him, he had the ability to lean onto God and to be Christ-like in his behavior with his brother's. I don't know that he could have done that without the years of lessons that God was doing. And so often in our own lives, God needs us to go through hard things so that our character can be molded. And it is a beautiful place when you reach the place of maturity, when you can go through something difficult and you can say, I don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I understand that God is sovereign and whatever's facing me, God is using this for a purpose in my own life and I'm just going to trust him because one day I will have the character and the tools in my belt to do whatever it is that God needs me to do. I don't see it now, but I trust that God's in control. And I think ultimately in this, we see throughout, throughout Genesis, we see just the sovereign hand of God that God is in control. And the world might look like it's fallen apart, but God has everything right where he wants it to be. And everything's going to be just fine, so you don't have to, like, freak out. And, you know, like, we just want to walk with God, be faithful. If things get hard to trust, you know what, God, you're in control. Lead me, guide me, help me to honor you through whatever I'm going through. And, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you for the, the book of Genesis. There's so much in this book that is, it's just been a fun read to go through. Father, I thank you for the beautiful ending, this, uh, these relationships, this strained family, which so many of us identify with, families that are broken, where there's deep, deep scars and wounds. I thank you, God, that by your hand, uh, that, that things can be restored uh, in our own relationships. It might not always be possible, but, Father, I pray that you would help us as a people where we have strained relationships, that you would help us to live out what Paul instructs in Romans, that so much as it depends on us, that we would be at peace with all men. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be like Jesus, that you would help us to be long-suffering and forgiving and just available, Lord, to be the peace, the component that allows for restoration. It's not always possible. And in these relationships where it isn't possible to reconcile, Father, I pray that you would enable us to be a forgiving people because forgiveness and reconciliation don't always happen simultaneously. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to release the people who have wronged us in our own life, that we would truly forgive them and to let them be and just to trust your hand in dealing with them. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would Just help us to lean into you, to walk with you day by day, and to trust you even when things seem like they're a little bit or a lot a bit out of control. Uh, We thank you, God, that you are in control, that you can provide for us whatever you desire us to have. And I just pray, Father, that you would help us to live in that area of peace when we walk with you day by day, just knowing that you are a God and that you are good, you love us, that you care for us, and that everything will be okay. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Amen.